You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. This is The Green Desk on 95BFM. Welcome back to The Green Desk. This week we're talking with Dr. Andrea Harvey, a research fellow at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's been studying wild horses. Or more specifically, she's been studying wild animal emotions. What do horses feel? What do they think? How do they feel after a long day running over the hills? We might not be getting that specific with the emotions, but we are learning more. Here's Dr. Harvey giving us a lowdown on animal emotions. So my research is about assessing the welfare of free-roaming wild animals. Um, And by welfare, I mean the mental experiences that animals are having, having, so the feelings that they're experiencing, so negative feelings like hunger, thirst, cold and heat discomfort, pain, ill health, fatigue, social isolation or negative interactions with other animals, anxiety, fear, those sort of things in terms of negative feelings or um, positive mental experiences, so things like contentment, satiation, um, playfulness, vitality of fitness um, and affectionate sociability with other animals. So those are the sort of mental experiences that we think about. Um, And obviously in animals' mental experiences, what they're feeling, they're subjective. It's not something we can really measure directly or um, ever be 100% certain what's going through an animal's mind. And and because of that, it's often an area that scientists shy away from because we want to, scientists tend to like numbers and and measuring things. And, And we can't measure an animal's mental experiences. But what we can do is measure physical indicators such as behaviors and features of their health, um, body posture, facial expressions and things like that. And then using knowledge of behavioral and neuroscience, we can reasonably accurately infer what an animal might be feeling from that. Um, And methods and frameworks for doing that are well established in domestic animals and livestock, but no one's previously attempted to do this in wild animals in a structured and scientific way. Um, And so that's really what I've been trying to do. And um, I guess what my research has shown is that by using novel methods um, such as remote camera traps and really careful analysis of images and videos of animals that we can obtain through those remote camera traps, that we can capture that sort of information in wild animals as well. Mm. And so a little bit of a, a philosophical question for you, I guess, but what what are emotions? I was thinking about this on my walk down here and I was thinking, you know, I guess they kind of stem from real, a real primordial version of ourselves and kind of as like different animals with different levels of complexity in their thinking have different levels of emotions. But yeah, could, just from your perspective, what are emotions? And, and really, so when we're talking about animal emotions and what we 
do know about the sort of emotions that animals um, can feel. It's really um, those that I, I gave examples of in terms of negative or positive mental experiences. So it can be quite basic. You know, we, we, we might not be thinking about emotions in such complex terms as we think about in ourselves. And that, and that isn't to say that animals don't have more complex emotions, but the, the evidence for how we can determine those is, is much less. And so really when we're talking about what sort of emotions we can um, really assess indicators of, we're talking about things like hunger, thirst, discomfort, pain, um, all those positive things like contentment um, and, and sort of sociability uh, and, and things like that. So with, with the, the sort of things that we can measure indicators of, I guess you would consider more basic emotions than what you might think about in terms of the complex emotions that um, we might feel, feel every day. Mm, so they're not kind of thinking about melancholy after watching a sad Netflix film, more kind of <laughs> exactly. going more, we're, we're, more we're basic. More talking, yeah, we're more talking about, yeah, what they're feeling, you know, in, in the moment, how they're experiencing their lives. You know, they're, they're not, I, I guess, sort of moving away from the thought that they're sort of fairly robotic and all, it, particularly in wild animals, people tend to think of them as, as populations of animals, groups of animals, rather than as individuals and, and each of those animals are individuals and they're not necessarily going to be behaving or, or feeling in the same way so they, they may be experiencing their lives in different ways and that's what we're trying to figure out what their quality of life is like I guess how they're experiencing their lives rather than just if they're existing and, and reproducing and surviving. Mm. Would, would you be able to give me some examples of I don't know some of the um, footage or something you've taken about when you've like actually seen one of these animals and you've kind of detected some emotion in there, like could you kind of just walk me through the process? Yeah, so I've um, most of my research so far has been done on wild horses, and really the reason for picking that species to begin with is because so much is known about horses um, from domestic horses, and so we already know a lot of indicators that can. Um, we, we can look at in domestic horses and so that was an easy species to pick to see what we could um, actually detect in, in wild horses as well. So there's some sort of really basic things um, just like body condition for example um, where we look at how much coverage there is over um, the, the ribs and, and pelvic bones and if we are you know seeing a horse that's really thin and we're combining that with seeing that it's um, walking long Long distances to um, search for food and that there's not much food around, um, we would infer from that combination of um, signs that the horse is going to be feeling hungry. And, and in turn, that can change and, and alter other behaviours and, and other feelings like they will progressively get uh, more tired and, and weak and we can see that in their body posture um, and the, the way that they move. Mm. And so you're a veterinarian, is that right? Yeah. And so obviously as a veterinarian, you're going to be interested in animals. But um, what actually sparked your personal interest in assessing wild animals' um, emotions? Because I imagine as a veterinarian, it's more likely you'd be dealing with domestic animals. But yeah, what, what sparked your interest in this? Yeah, well, that, that's absolutely right. I, I spent the first 
15 years of my career working as a clinical veterinarian with companion animals, so mostly dogs and cats and, and also horses. Um, and obviously there um, we're dealing with individual animals that have owners that are very observant and know their animals very well and, and easily pick up subtle changes. And, and usually the earlier that um, changes in an animal are detected, the more likely as a vet that you can successfully treat the patient and avoid really severe challenges to their, their welfare. And, and it struck me that this wasn't being done in wild animals. Um, again, typically wild animals are thought of in their collectives as populations rather than individuals and, and subtle things like we've just talked about, things like body postures and, and facial expressions are, are rarely really looked at. Mostly in wild animal research, people are concerned about population trajectories and, and reproductive success and, and things like that. And so I saw this as an area where I could potentially make a difference by bringing my um, clinical skills as a, uh, in assessing animal welfare in domestic animals into the, the wild animal area. Mm. And so how will this research be able to help uh, in, in conservation, for example? Yeah, so I, I, I guess that firstly, um, to practice conservation in an ethical manner, we, we should really be concerned about the animal's welfare and how those animals are feeling. It, it shouldn't really be just about whether those animals are existing, you know, and, and reproducing. Um, and so I think that we need to start thinking more about the, the welfare of those animals um, in general. But, but second, secondly, changes to their welfare are likely to occur long before animals start dying or stop reproducing. And so by looking at much more subtle indicators of their welfare, this may act as a kind of early warning signal about species challenge and decline, which will potentially allow earlier interventions where necessary to improve their welfare before we get to the situation where animals are, are stopping reproducing or, or are, are dying and their populations are declining. And that was The Green Desk for this week. Thank you so much to Dr. Andrea Harvey from the University of Technology, Sydney. Lovely to have you on. See you all next week. That was The Green Desk on 95BFM. Tihei Modi Order. That was a 95BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95BFM.com slash bcasts.